XR Motion Podcast with your host, Michael Steinberg. Welcome to the XR Motion Podcast, where we talk about what's coming down the line in the motion design industry and where we're also focused and talk about all the cool VR, AR, XR, and metaverse types things that are happening. Uh, quick reminder, we do have the NYC XR Motion Meetup March 29th, Tuesday from 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. We also are going to have our next VR meetup. It's looking like it's going to be on April 16th. So uh, keep your eyes out for that. More news to come. And if you want to stay up to date with everything, please join our Discord and or also follow us on TikTok, Instagram, or Twitter. Uh, we've got all the social media networks. So come check us out on there as well. Uh, also, at the end of the podcast, I am going to do a quick weekly industry update, so stick around for that as well, and let me know what you guys think, if you want me to keep doing that or not. So, anyway, let's jump into it. Today, guys, I am excited to announce we have a very special guest with us. His work's amazing, and it's beautiful. That's the one word that stands out to me when it comes to his work. It's beautiful. We have Wes Cox with us. He's a designer based in Brooklyn, which is great and always fun to have a local on. And he mixes visual styles, drawing inspiration equally from pop culture, street fashion, and product design. He strongly believes in exploring and experimenting with visual styles, techniques, and software to push the limits of a project brief, as well as his own creativity. Guys, please go look up his work. I say this every podcast. You got to look up the artist's work. It is Wes, if you're on social, Wes underscore cream or cream3d.com. Maybe get a tissue or something to dry the drool off because you might be drooling when you see his work. It's just so good. It's mesmerizing. Anyway, I'm excited. Let's jump into it. Wes, how are you doing, man? Hey, how are you doing? Thanks for having me. And thanks for the nice introduction. Yeah, absolutely. I Man, your work is just fantastic. Where do you get your inspiration from? I just That was one thing I just... Every time I see your work, I'm like, man, where, where does he come up with this stuff? There's not like one specific thing. It can come a little bit from everywhere. One thing that I try to not get my inspiration anymore, which is, I think, more important for me, is 3D design. Really? Yeah. No, I had like the period when I first started with 3D. I just followed 3D designers. I only looked at 3D design, and at a certain point, I realized... I'm just copying somebody else's work or like trying to do something similar or just different enough. And at a certain point, I think I had like years looking purposely for my own style, but it doesn't, it doesn't come when you look for it. And I think as soon as I stopped looking for it, a few years later, when I looked at my own portfolio, I was like, I think I have a style. I don't know what it is, but they kind of fit together. Do you have any specific artist or where do you go to look for visual inspiration? I think one of my favorite places still is Behance. I've always been like big Behance user as well as from the side of uploading my own work, showcasing my own work, looking at other people's stuff, references, stuff like that. I think that's the one I used to love Instagram, but I don't know. The past two years, my feed is like 
three random posts and then two advertising and yeah it's a shame and like the stuff that's also like how do you call it like the suggested tab yep used to be really nice but now it is the most random stuff or at least for me i think something with the algorithm for me went wrong these days in general i just post my work and close the app again what's your favorite one out of all the platforms um, I think like graphic wise, it's definitely Behance. I think the, the, I've always been like a big user. It was like my first portfolio website. I think I've been on there for like over 10 years. I do have to say like they shared a lot of my work, like the, the feature, I have a lot of features on Behance, even though Behance seems to be not hip these days in the times of, of the metaverse and everything, but I think probably half the work I ever did came through Behance. And I also use for my website, I used, what's it called, like the Adobe portfolio. Yeah. So I actually don't have to do things double. I make it once and I can publish it to both, which is very nice. I honestly, I feel like, you know, it's funny is I used to always hate Behance like five, six years ago. But as my work started becoming more professional and I started dealing with clients more and having to do things like mood boards especially and get actual inspiration, Behance is my number one spot for that. I don't think I've ever actually showed a client a TikTok page. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's cool. Well, let's even reel it back a little bit. So I had to ask the inspiration thing. I just, that was one question I've been dying to ask. What would you say you do exactly? Like, how would you describe it to somebody on the street? Oh, that's a difficult one. I think I've been been doing this for a long time, but I still often feel like I'm just winging it. (laughs) I think the thing that I'm the most focused on is stills, look and feel. I do some animation myself also to a certain point. Like, I love doing animation, but I never pushed really true in animation. So I have like a few people, other freelancers, when I need them for animation, I hire them to work with me because they can just do it faster and better. I think it's important sometimes to get the right person for the job. And I think I've never been that for animation. Yeah, I think definitely my, my strength is more look and feel. It depends also because one of the things that I like the most about working freelance is that I can do my own thing. I think the past, let's say like two, three years, I'm, I'm also lucky to have that with clients. Five years ago, I would get like a Peter Tarka mood board once a month. Like, hey, can you do this? Then I'm like, why don't you ask Peter? <laughs> He's a nice guy. Or like, are you hoping that I'm going to do it cheaper? But... And I I get it also that you get references from a client, but sometimes I'm sure everybody's gotten those type of emails that you're like, I really can't do this. I know that person that actually, this is not a mood board. This is a condensed version of their portfolio that they want me to do. Yeah, that's too funny. We can get this guy for cheaper. Just uh, don't. (laughs) No, I think that's something that I do really like that I can do my own thing, but I also don't mind like joining. I still join sometimes with, with uh, I just did a project with Tendril, for example, which are amazing people to work with. And then there's other freelancers on the project because you learn so much from working with other people. It's like this thing that you've been doing for 10 years and it works perfectly fine for you. And the person next to you is like, you see them do it in a completely different way. That is actually 20 times better than how you've been doing it 
for the past 10 years. One thing I've recommended to people recently is getting either a trainer or instructor. I pretty much didn't know anything about doing any sort of coding for VR or how to even get into VR. And I must have spent 20 hours trying to figure out how to upload my worlds in VR and I couldn't do it. And then I just found a YouTuber who could do it. And I was like, hey, 50 bucks, can you help me for like an hour or two? And I swear with that 50 bucks, I got 20 hours worth of information. I literally within 30 to 40 minutes, I had my world uploaded, mind blown. Yeah, I had, I had something very similar a few months back. I had like a big project I think it was like 40 different deliverables. It was mostly focused on product design. They wanted clean renders for their website and everything, but with a playful touch on it. But one of the things that I kept postponing till the end, so I had everything delivered, all 39 of the assets. And the last one was just this stupid clot band. And the client sent me like a picture of three of them like stacked on each other. And it's it's very simple when you see that in real life, but trying to make something like that look, I could have probably pulled one off, but like three stacked on each other to make that look realistic. What, what was it again? It was a band? It's just like a, a fabric band. So one puts like the weight on the other one and it just looks very natural. You don't think about it when you see it in real life or a picture. Right, right. And I just messed for like a full day that I was like, I need to get this project off my desk. I don't want to see this anymore. I've been working on this for three months and I'm so close, but this thing is just going to drag on for a few weeks. And then a friend of mine, I hope I pronounce it right, Max Salzborn, who's really into what is the software? Marvelous. Yeah, I knew he was using that all the time and I asked him, can you do this? Do you like how do how much do you want? I just need the OBJ and I think 15 minutes later I had it and it was perfect. I did the material, send it to the client, and like the day after they were like, yeah, render it for finals. Approved. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Instantly. Oh man. Yeah, it's a big thing. I think if you need help asking for help or just reaching out, man, it makes such a big difference. Yeah, because sometimes you waste less money on your own time to just pay somebody else's shorter time to do it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you think Google has all the answers, but sometimes I swear it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> How did you get into this field? Did you have anything that pushed you into it or have you just been always into the field? So I actually studied graphic design, which feels like 45 years ago it's not that long but it's a long time ago but this was the old school graphic design there was no treat we hardly even touched illustrator and photoshop it was more like theory color study then after i finished it i did a few short agency jobs like a month here two months there this is like 15 years ago then i landed an agency job i think that was my last full-time agency job that I think I spent six years there, but I basically started there. I never, I didn't even know the word 3D when I started working there. I used, uh, I think 90% of the time I was working in Illustrator. Nice, okay. No, it wasn't nice because it was, <laughs> it, was like, <laughs> it was terrible. 
No, I loved it back then, but it was like a branding, logo design, something that now I can honestly say I'm just bad at it. No, <laughs> it was all really bad. But I was doing illustration in my own time and in Illustrator mostly. Before then, if you asked me what is 3D, what do they use 3D for? I would have probably said game design, architecture, maybe movies, probably not even movies back then. But that was sort of the moment where you started seeing some people doing like creative campaigns for brands with 3D. And that spiked my interest. And then at a certain point, I looked up like you had all the... You had Cinema 4D, 3DS Max, and it were like four or five softwares back then. Mm. And so I just, I downloaded Cracks and Trials and just started playing with it. And I think one of the first softwares that I tried was Cinema 4D. And I just stuck with that, like that one, I can't even remember why, but that one felt natural to me. And then I just sort of got obsessed with it back then. Like I came home, I ate quick and booted up my computer. And um, I was freelancing on the side a little bit. Like three years later, I was doing like more than two full-time jobs because I was too scared to go full-time freelance. I should have probably done it a year ago, a year before. But then came like at a certain point came like the moment it was a project for Disney. Wow. But it was three months full time. No, it wasn't wow. It was one of the worst freelance projects I've ever done. No, not Disney. <laughs> I was like hired by an agency that was hired by an agency that was hired that was hired by seven other agencies and somewhere at the top the client was Disney. But my my point was like they, they said to me like yeah this is like a two or three month gig full time. I couldn't do that. I couldn't combine that with my agency job. So I was like, fuck it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna quit the agency. Gave my two weeks notice and I was like, what's the worst thing that can happen? Like me in six months coming to back for my job back or just find another job. And I kind of never looked back. It was like one project after the other one sort of connected afterwards. And yeah. It's always a good feeling when the freelance is the thing that takes you out of your full time job. Yeah, but it's also, it's a very big jump because you give up a lot of security, of course. Yeah, I was going to say, for you, how scary was that? I still remember back, I really had to learn to also enjoy time between two projects. I have nothing to do for two weeks, for example. Now, this, that is the most amazing thing that, that I can see in my calendar. Like, I love it. But, like, back then, it's, it's sort of like an advantage of freelance to me. If you don't want to work next Thursday and Friday, I want to take a long weekend. Yeah, you can you can do that, but it's also possible that the next two weekends will not be weekends. The week will just run through. So I wanted to ask, you probably have one of the best color palettes I've seen when it comes to your style of work. How do you go about picking those colors? Is that something where you just, as you're going, you're just creating and it comes out? Or is that something where you have a certain color palette beforehand? Or what's your process with that? Um, that comes very natural. It's also a very big difference between like if I'm doing personal work or client work. Because like I had recently a project and they told me like you can use whatever you want but not purple because our biggest competitor their color is purple 
Or for example, you have projects where it's like the colors for this project need to be mainly, let's say, pink and blue, for example. If they're open to it, I will try to bring secondary colors in there. So with client projects, you often have to stick to most of the time to like a certain color palette or stay away from certain colors for different reasons. But in my personal work, no, there's never something that I'm like, oh, I want to I wanna do something blue today or I want to do something purple. It just sort of, some things don't work with more than two or three colors and some things can, you can, you can put 20 different types of colors in there. It's sort of something, I always loved using color. I think it's from the beginning when working with Cinema 4D and using the render engine from Cinema 4D. I don't mean to trash talk the standard engine because it's amazing for an included engine. But for example, white is not possible. You can render it as white as you want. It's still great. But I think that was something that I was missing in the beginning using C4D standard engine, making colors pop and everything. So I think it's something that came natural as soon as I moved into like GPU rendering. First I switched to Octane, which I used for I think like about four or five years. And that was the moment where that really clicked for me, doing materials and going super deep with materials. Because in V-Ray, for example, which is very slow, but amazing quality, like you do something, you have to hit render, you got to wait for 15 minutes. Oh, no, that's not right. Change something. But then all of a sudden, it was almost in real time. For example, you can put your value from 1 to 1,000 all of a sudden to really see what that value can do or does. So that was a moment for me where, where materials really clicked because you have that instant feedback. You know what's what you're doing wrong or what, what you're doing actually. And that was something that I never saw before. So what render engine, I know you mentioned Octane, V-Ray. Now, I believe you're using Redshift currently. Is that correct? Yeah, I switched a year and a half ago, I think. I didn't mean to actually. <laughs> it, ju it just happened very naturally. I always loved... Octane, but everybody that used Octane for a little while and maybe professionally knows how unstable it can be. Mm -hmm. But I, I always felt very comfortable in it. I loved using it and like I had no plan to like switch. I think I just had like a moment after a long project where I was bored and I was probably the only person that had never tried Redshift. So I installed the Kraken, was like playing with it for two, for a day or two, but they have the biggest watermark on the, not crack the trial, I mean, they have like the biggest watermark on the, on the trial. And um, it annoyed me so much. And then I saw it was 200 bucks or something. I was like, worst case, I don't use it anymore in two months, but then I tried. And I think two weeks later, I was like, I never want to see Octane again. Like never, <laughs> never, ever again. <laughs> the stability is just amazing to me. Like the stuff at the base, they can both do. They're very good at the same thing. But like in, for example, caustics, all of a sudden were an option in, in Redshift. I think you can do them in Octane now also. But like my, my work, I'm sure you know, I like, I like using a lot of glass and transparency. So all of a sudden having caused the first time I had like a render with caustics that was like, okay, no, I'm, I'm, this is my <laughs> render engine now. 
And it was funny, I think it was the fourth or the fifth week that I was actually using Redshift. I got an email from Tendril and they were like, do you use Redshift? I was like, this is Tendril, like I'm a super big fan of Tendril. I'd never worked with them before. I was like, yes, of course I use Redshift. <laughs> I think I had like for a month Cinema 4D Redshift and on the other screen just Google the Redshift manual. It was like a crash course. Yo, that is that is funny. That's how you have to do it, though. Yeah, Redshift. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Redshift works good, I believe, on Macs now on the M1 chips. You can use it, so mm-hmm. that's kind of why I got it recently. But I just started doing dailies again. So Octane is just so fast with the material dropper. You can just drop mm-hmm. the materials in, and it's just it's a cheat sheet. So yeah. That's something that I that I remember, like the when I got my first GPU, I got my Octane license. I had never played with Octane before myself. And I remember like installing the whole thing, having the software running, and I just took I think it was like a neon scene or something that I that I built before in V-Ray. So I threw all the lighting out, threw all the materials off, and I was like, am I gonna build something new? I'm just gonna take this. And I remember that first evening with Octane, I think like 30 minutes later, it looked amazing. While nothing looked amazing with Redshift two years ago, at least for a month. So it's a, a lot less out of the box, a lot more complicated. But once you get through that first base, the more complicated is for me a compliment for them. Because there's just so much more possibilities to... Because I hear sometimes people saying like, oh, I don't like the Octane look or the Redshift look. But then I'm like, then you're using both of them wrong. That means you got to move away from the standard settings. But Octane is definitely a little bit more friendly as like a first experience with GPU rendering. Going into just back into Redshift, I want to ask you, because one thing I really like is your textures. Do you actually build out your own textures in Redshift? Because uh, it's just got such a high quality to it. Yeah, I think the difference, what I do is like, I don't really have like a texture library. I always find that amazing that people have a texture library. I almost always just start from scratch. I do have, you can set up a new .c4d file, which has, for example, that there's, if I hit render in my new scene, it immediately looks like a clay render. So you have like an instant thing. There's like a few materials in there that are my base materials. How do I say, like there's a a few little node trees that I have pre-built, for example, like a a triplanar. Because at a certain point was like, how many times has everybody attached a texture node to a triplanar and a scale and a this? That it's like, why do I do this every time? Let's just bring this together. So I have like some things pre-built, but it's more like my basic material that I start from. Everything is most of the times built just on type of geometry. I think that that's a big thing also. So how long does it take you to complete a whole personal project? Because you you post pretty frequently for a lot of your things. It really depends. There's like things I post that sometimes maybe took me 20 minutes before I hit render. And then on the next thing that I post can be something that I messed around with for a week or something. It really depends also what I'm doing. 
Do you have any currently favorite plugins that you've been working with? Um, Redshift. That's fair. I don't use that many external plugins. I, I think I have like a good collection of some custom scripts and some stuff that I have no idea where it's coming from from now that I've kept for probably more than five years. And I, I think my favorite plugin is actually RISM for UV unwrapping. Really? Okay, What and that's called RISM. RISM UV, yeah. Been hoping for Maxim to buy them for years now. <laughs> Maxon, I think, is just going to become the next buy-up monopoly. <laughs> I just hope they don't do the Adobe thing and have all of the hotkeys be similar but not. Yeah, exactly. Just make all the hotkeys the same. <laughs> also, do you have any favorite projects that you've worked on? I think, like, my recent most recent favorite is probably the fluent project with microsoft i did we posted it end of 2021 but that was actually three months of work january february march that's probably like my most favorite of the recent ones but it's not just because it's microsoft i'll be honest one of the favorite things also that for me about freelancing is this week you can be working with like a gigantic tech firm like Microsoft while next week I might be doing something fun for a little startup in a, in a completely different line of work while the week after you're back working for tech. And so it's not just because it's Microsoft, but that one, I think the reason that that's my recent favorite is because that had been a long time since a client really threw me a challenge. The briefing was amazing. The briefing was a list of 25 words and the line, have fun. We love your work. Yeah, that was a very like organic way of working also. Just experimenting. I loved in that project. We probably did somewhere over uh, 20 rounds. And like, even when I sent my 20th round and there were probably already like 16, 17 finals. The rounds were still called R&D till the end. So that, that was a really fun, but it was also very intimidating to me to start that project. Because it's like, how, how do I start this? Some words in there, I don't even know what they mean. I have to ask them what do they mean, but it was just, okay, this thing I actually have an idea for. So let's just do that. And then that one, let's do that one. And then it just started, I think I sent the first round of R&D for like maybe five or six subjects. The next round I, I did two more and then it sort of, it was also the type of project where, so I worked very closely with uh, Nando Costa on that one. He also had an amazing way of working where like, I did something for a certain subject and he would take, like there's one of them he took my render, put it in Photoshop, flipped it around in a different direction. And he said, what if we use it like this for the other subject? So it was a very organic way of, of working. Microsoft has been putting out some killer content. Mm -hmm. They have even on Instagram, I think only creative, like a Microsoft creative page. And it is yeah. just top tier stuff. So when they gave you the 25 words, was that it? Like there was no anything else? It was just... No, there was like some context. We talked also about the colors before. 
The funny thing is actually I could make propositions for the colors and I sent that first round in the colors that actually the whole project, the final project was done. And I sent that over and said like, look, the colors are just placeholder. I can't figure it out just yet. And they were like, no, no, these are the colors. We love these colors. You can add more, but these two are the ones we're going to use. But I think what they do right with all the stuff that they've been putting out is sort of the, the thing that I, that I mentioned earlier. They hired a person or an agency for their strengths. They don't hire Tendril with a brief that has all man versus machine projects in there. If they want that, they actually hire man versus machine or like this freelancer. I think that's why those projects are all so strong. For example, the ones with um, Nidia Diaz, hers are also amazing, but it's because if you compare it to her portfolio, that's her thing also. So you felt like you had a lot of creative freedom working on the project with them. Yeah, absolutely. That was a very fun way, way of working, yeah. Two years ago, you did a 36 days of type. Mm-hmm the entire thing, and you did the numbers, zero through nine. Loved it, man. I was actually, I, I was looking at them, super creative. And I, I also bring it up because it currently is 36 days of type. For anybody who hasn't participated in that or doesn't know what that is, you can just look it up on Instagram, 36 days of type. And each day you have to make a new letter, starting with the letter A all the way up to Z, and then you go zero through nine. And a bunch of designers, MoGraphers, anybody can do it. And it's really cool and it's really fun. So I think right now they're on E right now or F. So Yeah, I think so. They just started the other week. Yeah. So you did an entire A through Z and zero through nine. I've tried it a few times and I, I always miss a day and then I stop and I, I shame <laughs> myself for weeks for not finishing. So what was that process like for you to do that? Were you amped about it? Did you do it start each day? Did you pre-plan any of it? Because your letters were so uniquely built and functional and they just had so much character and life to them and also each letter was unique but felt in the same family how did you go about doing that so i actually did it seven years completely in a row <laughs> that was my last one wow so in in the beginning i basically did them most of the time every day sometimes when i had time i did one a day earlier or to, to just stay up. But I think they were all pretty much done on the day themselves. But in the beginning, like the first few, please don't go look at the ones from seven years ago. <laughs> but in the beginning, I just did random. Today, it's this. Tomorrow, it's that. It doesn't matter. But then afterwards, when I, for example, put them all together, it was just kind of like 36 different people made it. And I think the last few years that I did it, I sort of tried to, I did that before, like when I knew it was going to come up, try to come up with like a team and like explore within that team. And the last year, I can't even remember what were the constraints that I put up for myself. I think I only use up surface scattering and glass that year or plastic. And then like everything with gradients, minimal scenes. Yeah, it's fun. But I'll be honest, that last year that I did them completely, which is, I think, three or two years ago, 
Yeah, 2020, I believe, from what I looked up. It started to be very heavy. It's fun to start it, but I was always very happy when it was done. I was like, I do not want to do letters for at least next year. Yeah. <laughs> and then I had the last year that I did it, I got a lot of response to it. Asus hired me, picked one of the letters and said, can you do like a seven for our new phone that we're releasing? And then when like next year, when, when it was starting to get closer again, that it was starting, I was like, first of all, I don't think that I have 36 in me. I didn't really have like a good team. I was also pretty busy. So I was like, I'm not going to pull it off. If I don't have a good idea to do them, I'd probably rather not do it. And then eventually they actually invited me to be one of the guests. And then I was like, <laughs> this is the perfect end after doing it for seven years straight. So that was my last one. Yeah. That's the end of the last chapter. You close the book. <laughs> exactly. Oh man, that's awesome. Did you sketch any of them out or like, did you maybe use like a font as like a base for anything or? No, those were all uh, just hand models. That's awesome, man. If you pay attention to them a little bit more, then you can also see the times when I had like less time than the other <laughs> ones. There's a few, it's basically build out of four blocks slap a material on there and render but nothing wrong with that of course well some of them you can see that there's a little bit more like modeling intensive no but i always enjoyed doing them i liked your little advice about the subsurface scattering mm -hmm. so for this question i'm always asked this what is your best pocket advice um, my biggest advice to freelancers is probably just saying no to holds Let's get the holes out of the world. Really? <laughs> yeah, that's probably my biggest one. I love that because literally yesterday I was just talking with three other freelancers and they said, I have so many holes and I am so angry right now. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't get it. Also why people keep saying yes to it. It's like, can you keep your calendar open next month, a whole month? I'm like, no. <laughs> Sign this paper, book me, and I'll keep it open for you. But it's like, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And maybe you should get charged. Maybe, maybe <laughs> if you want to retain that, you got to pay a retainer fee. You got to give me $1,000. And if you drop it, I get to keep the grand. Like in when you book in like a little bit more of a fancy restaurant, you have to put like 40 bucks down. If you don't show up, you lose it. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I think that maybe we're on to something. Maybe maybe yeah. this is the start of a, of a good way of getting around that. Well, let's go ahead and jump into the future part. So Wes, I'm going to ask you, where do you see yourself in five years in our industry? Um, hopefully still busy and working. I'm lucky with client work, but I also realize that that can be completely different tomorrow. No, I'm pretty sure I'll hopefully be doing exactly the same thing for different people. The thing is like everything with NFTs is interesting what is happening, but like I don't see it as my next career. I'm playing around with it. I think there's nothing wrong also with that. I still like working for clients also. What is your thoughts on NFTs as a whole? Where do you see that field even going? And have you made any NFTs? Or have you bought any or sold any? 
Um, I'm like on two different platforms. I've sold some work, nothing life-changing. I've bought a few myself from friends of mine, like supporting each other. No, I think it's, it's, it's really cool, but the overall feeling that I'm getting, like the actual work, the art doesn't even come second. It's coming like fifth or sixth and the, I can't shake the feeling of quantity over quality. I mean, personal feeling also, but I don't see the fun in making 10,000 or what, what is the number? 8,888 versions of the, of the same thing. But also good for everybody that's making money with them. Yeah, I'm I'm on the same boat. I like how you said that. The art feels like it doesn't even come. It's not first. It doesn't feel like it comes second. Maybe it comes fifth. I feel like that's probably the exact way how I've been feeling without knowing how to say it. Because I think as much as it was leaning one way as it being purely for the artist, and then it kind of became people just got into it for the scam or the money or the currency type work i feel like it could very much go back the other way and it just becoming a great mix of both fields Mm -hmm. i'm just so in the middle of it that i'm trying to wrap my because i think also one thing i will say about nfts is that it's definitely gotten way bigger than i could have ever imagined it to the point where now that it's almost intimidating to think about in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. so that in itself is a good aspect for the nft field it is just exploding in every direction well have you ever done vr and ar and if so or if not what's your thoughts in the field well i have no i have no experience with it whatsoever i have never i don't know why i've never even played the simple stuff i've never had vr goggles on Wow. Yeah, I've never done it. Next month, I'm trying to get in uh, with VR World for anybody in New York, Brooklyn, any motion designers. I think we're going to do one of the meetups there. So you'll have to come by to that and check it out. No, the thing is, at a certain point, a few years back when it started really coming up and like you saw everywhere, people talking about it, people doing some 3D stuff, also with Unreal all of a sudden popping up and becoming popular. I looked into it, but for me, what what I saw, even like the prettiest thing in Unreal, I'm not interested into learning it and doing my stuff in there. For me, it's just not there yet. But it's also probably because I, I love going very far with materials and lighting. And it's like, I can probably make something in there, but I'm not going to be able to do what what I want to do like I can do in Redshift. I can also imagine a client coming to me asking me to do something in VR. So So you don't want to spend hundreds of hours to make your artwork look worse. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's totally understandable. I think it is like the biggest barrier right now is that the quality and Unreal Engine 5 that just kind of came out brought a lot of hope and a lot of potential it's still not there where it's coming up to like Octane or Redshift. Mm -hmm. Unreal Engine, a lot of people I don't think get this in the field right now. It's like a compositor for VR or just even videos. You can't build assets really Mm -hmm. in there. It has some cool like terrain generators and 
particle simulators where you can just put trees into like a paintbrush and just paint trees for miles. But you wouldn't ever build a tree in there. You wouldn't ever build anything. Mm -hmm. Kind of yeah. bring it into there. It's like a render engine almost. And yeah, with VR stuff, that's one thing I hope this podcast does eventually get is just the people in our field maybe sticking their toe into the water of VR and just trying it out a little bit. Because I think that is one th reason that it does lack the quality is because there's not really demand for it and there's also not artists in the field yet. It's very much coders and programmers and they don't really care about how good things look. No, but I, I see some people uh, like building their geometry in, in VR. It almost looks like an airbrush, but you actually like shoot, uh, spray your geometry. But like in the end, it's really cool. And I'm pretty sure if I would get a chance to play around with it, that I'll have a lot of fun. But in the end, when I see the results, then I'm like, yeah, the volume measure can do this like 20 times better. <laughs> and procedural. So why would I want to sit here with glasses on and, and gloves on my hands? Yeah, it's definitely not ideal for high-end client work yet. Yeah. I've seen some people, like Harrison was saying, he was able to, he was making masks. He had to make like 25 masks, and they were like these very unique styles. And so he said he was able to go in VR and make some like really cool shapes, just really quickly sketching it out, and it was life-size, and you can kind of like look left and right, and it just gave a totally different feel to it. And then... I don't know if you know Tokyo Megaplex. He's like a pretty big Houdini artist, mm -hmm. but he's been doing a lot of sculpture. He did something for Adult Swim where most of those sculptures all started in VR and he was just able to make some really fun characters, bring those in and then reanimate and mesh them up, I think in like Houdini. Long story short, Bing, it's great for starting into, but yeah, final product is probably not anywhere near ready for, <laughs> in our field at least, coming out of straight from VR. But I think too what's fun with VR, if you ever do try, is just looking at your own artwork that you made. Maybe even doing your like A through Zs, just uploading them in VR and seeing them the size of buildings is always fun, but... <laughs> So I know you haven't tried VR, but do you have any thoughts on the metaverse in that aspect? Um, I have actually yet to read up about it. I haven't gone that far with it. The st I'm probably wrong in what I'm going to say, but like the stuff that, uh, that I've seen so far, it just looks like, what was that video game? Like when I was a kid, The Sims? But like how <laughs> I remember The Sims from 20 years ago, yeah. this stuff actually looks worse than that one. <laughs> So I'm, I'm like, I already spend a lot of time in front of screens to work. You watch television, it's like, that's not the stuff that's going to keep me long longer in front of a, a screen at the end of the day. You're 100% right. Honestly, I think the design aspect in VR is lacking. Yeah, they, they need to upgrade the graphics, but hopefully it will get there. But we can make the cool things and put cool things in there and build on it. But... That's a long story. That's something where we'll, we'll, we can get more down the road. You'll, you'll send me questions one day. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <not. laughs> um, well, I'm going to ask, speaking of cool things, what is that next to you? It, is that a soundboard? Um, it's a modular synthesizer. 
Whoa. Okay. Are, do you, so do you make music or is that someone else in? Um, I don't like to say, I don't think I make music. I just mess around with it. <laughs> I sort of got into it during the lockdown, during COVID. Just a really fun thing to play around with. I like that I don't have a reason to have it. Like I'm not using it for work. The most fun thing about it is I think there's no software, there's no screen and there's no mouse. It's just headphones on, buttons, wires. It's something fun to get lost in. Maybe one day I want to try to do like some of my own stuff with it to put on my own animations. But so far, there's no real ambition for the thing. It's just a pure for myself. And it looks cool on, on a video call. I'm blown away. I'm like, that's the coolest looking thing I've seen. <laughs> it's yeah, that that looks like uh, the inside of C3PO with awesome buttons and dials uh, <laughs> uh, on the outside. That is so sick. <laughs> so, do you think VR has a chance? I want to hear the negative stuff. Like, do you think VR is a bad thing? And be as honest as you want. Like, do you think it's like a fad? Do you think it's pointless? Or what's your thoughts on it? I don't think it's pointless, but I think the right usage isn't just discovered yet, I think. We're actually on a video call now, talking with each other. Instead of doing that, we would be staring at each other's, at our own avatars in some weird room. Right. I don't really get it. Why would I do that? Fair. It's totally different. In one sense, I feel that it's more connecting, but in another sense... I feel like as much as it might feel like you're in the same room as me, I feel like I wouldn't know how you are feeling and how you look. Like, I feel like I wouldn't know you as well after the call. Exactly. Like talking with somebody, you need body language. Yeah. And I feel like the facial mannerisms are a big part. Mm. That's a language in itself, which I don't think VR has yet. Yeah. And then on the other hand, if they're going to go so far and spend all that time and resources to actually bring that in, why don't you just grab a coffee with the other person or do, <laughs> or do a video call? Yeah, <laughs> got simple solutions. Yeah, yeah. modern day problems. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I, ju I just got to try it before I give an opinion about it. I've never tried it actually. When you do, I think you might enjoy it, but <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Uh, well, so in the future, is there any specific uh, tools that you would like to see updated, whether it's Cinema 4D or um, any rendering programs? Um, I think for Redshift, it's like specific things that are like little things that are missing. Like I think that the integration of being able to read MoGraph information is super, super strong and I use it all the time, but there's still so many little things that i'm like i'm not i'm not a rocket scientist i can't be the first person that thinks of this little thing would be very helpful but with redshift i'm pretty happy how that is now same with cinema 4d i just think there's a lot of things with cinema 4d that i don't really get that they're spending time and resources on for example they just redid the whole ui again that i was like nobody's waiting on this and everybody customizes it so much that you don't even see your UI anymore. That's one of the fun things about Cinema 4D. While there's like a few things 
for example, like the dynamics and simulation stuff, which is very, very powerful. But if you've played with Houdini for half a day, then you're like, we need a little update. We don't need the, the power of Houdini. Some updates on that. But I'm, I'm, I still enjoy working in, in Cinema 4D. I actually upgraded to R25 coming from 22, I think. And I think it's a very solid release. Also for me, I have new stuff from four versions, so I don't even know which one it comes from. But like stable-wise, I didn't have really issues with it. Yeah, I went from 22 to 24, and I've just, I haven't gone to 25 yet, but I also got to do the whole plugin updates. I wish there was just a update plugins button that just brought everything into 25. I used to be like very excited with every new update and like install it. And then two days later, you're like on message boards trying to figure out what's going wrong. And at a certain point, I was like, I think I update like once a year. And that's usually over the Christmas holidays. And now I'm just, when there's a new version, somebody else can just <laughs> do the public beta for me and get the bugs out. It's honestly just the plugins are my big thing. Yeah, the stability and the plugins. It feel like back in the day, I didn't ever really use plugins. So I just, the updates were the plugins. Mm -hmm. And then as, as things came up, I'm just like, I can't, I'm not, I don't feel like downloading Forrester all the way to 25. And or once the new versions come out, half the plugins aren't even ready for 25. So you almost got to wait until all the plugins come up just so you can actually even get to the upgrade. But by the time everything's caught up, the next version's coming out. So I've just, I don't even care about updates too much anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, cool. And then I got uh, one more question I want to ask. How do you do your final compositing? I use Photoshop. Photoshop, okay. Yeah, that, that's something that I've always, even I did that for years also, like render and that's it. But there came like a certain point where I really saw the power of compositing and Photoshop from like getting some tips from like a few Photoshop wizard friends of mine showing me some tricks like with, with how you can use, what's it called, like the AOVs, the render passes. And I think at a certain point, I just, this is like years back, but like I did a scene and I just turned on to save every possible existing render pass just so I had everything and just bring it in over the render and like do some blending modes. And then there were like a few where I was like, this is actually very nice to play with the reflections in post and stuff like that. I think that that's a very underestimated thing also for a lot of people. I don't think anybody has seen a raw render of mine anywhere for, or it's older than six years, probably. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not saying I always turn it into a PSD with 47 layers. Sometimes this little, one little pass or a filter or like a, an adjustment layer can just push your thing to the next level from the render. Yeah. Recently, I've been doing stills again. And then at work, I just feel like I'm always doing After Effects, bringing everything into After Effects. But now, again, I keep saying the dailies just because I started this week. But maybe that'll be one thing I start trying to do. Just switch to Redshift and do a lot of passes <laughs> and bring them into Photoshop. <laughs> do a whole new different method of getting these dailies out. 
Yeah. Well, this has been such a blast. Is there anything I can like leave the floor? Do you have any drops coming up or any projects you're working on that you want to mention or? I can't mention any of the projects I'm working on. <laughs> They're all under NDA, but I do have some exciting things up. Like I can unfortunately not share anything about it, but one of the projects I got in last week is actually something that's been on my professional bucket list for a very long time. So I'm very excited about that one. Well, cool. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for letting me pick your brain. Thank you so much for being on. Well, thank you for inviting me. It was fun. This is The Update. All right. Yo, that was such an incredible episode with West. I can't thank him enough for being on. I mean, really just sharing some incredible knowledge. It's just incredible. Um, I'm really excited. We're going to go ahead and jump into the update part of the show where we will be going over some of the new news in our field. So uh, let me know what you guys think. It's uh, pretty much bringing this segment back a little bit of a revival. Um, So if you like it, let me know. If you don't, also let me know. But I'm excited, so let's jump into it. First off, just want to give a shout out to Corridor Films. If you guys haven't been keeping up with them, definitely check out their stuff. Recently, they've been experimenting with deep fakes, uh, essentially having their friends' faces mapped on top of their own, and it looks almost identical. If you've seen the Tom Cruise deep fakes, check those out if you haven't. They're pretty much doing that with their own friends, and it is just hilarious and also creepy because, I mean, it's good. Like, it's scary good. Like, it's to the point where I wouldn't be surprised if in the future our, like, phones or TVs have some sort of recognition to catch these things in case you're seeing somebody say something that they're not actually saying um, with, like, false identities or anything of that sort. They also experimented with the audio versions, taking clips of their friend's audio and using importing that into a AI software and able to then just type whatever they want on the keyboard and it sounds like their friend is actually saying it. It's super creepy, (laughs) but check it out if you haven't seen it and let me know what you think. There's also uh, one other YouTube I want to mention. It's Xandadu. If you haven't seen it, it's the fourth episode, longest one yet that he's released. Uh, It's spelled X-A-N- I don't know, Xana, A-D-U-N, something like that. Um, If you just Google that, you'll find it with Unreal Engine because this is a one-man team. This is the craziest part about it. It's a 20-minute show about aliens, and it is just incredible. If I would have seen this show maybe 10 years ago, I would have thought 50 people worked on it, and now it's just one guy with a mocap suit and Unreal Engine. It kind of gives you the chills when you think one person did this. You know, it's like, I need to step up my game. (laughs) People, this guy is setting the bar for what can be done by a single human um, in our industry. I just, I hope those expectations aren't put on me anytime soon. I hope to learn it, but man, it is just mind-blowing. A little cool news coming from SXSW. Uh, Two things, one being that uh, the award-winning VR game of the year is, round of applause, please, or drum roll, 
It is Resident Evil 4. I'm super amped about playing it. I got it myself, but you know, I just, I, I heard it's only 10 hours of gameplay. So I'm thinking I might wait to stream that live on like Twitch or something and just try and beat it in one day. Do a little marathon, maybe two days, we'll see. Definitely would be the longest I've been in VR, 10 hours straight. <laughs> it might be a bit much. Also uh, announced there, they had um, Audi is going to, well, essentially HTC Vive announced. Um, this is thanks to VR Scout for this news, but HTC Vive announced that it was partnering with in-car VR entertainment company Holoride, which is it's pretty interesting. Essentially, HTC Vive Flow is going to be in the back seats of a bunch of new cars. So it was announced that it's going to be launching on select Audi sedans and SUVs with new technology being imported in this summer offering consumers their first taste of backseat VR entertainment. I mean, VR in a car. I get motion sickness from just reading text messages in a car. And, you know, it took me a few weeks to get used to VR motion sickness. So I can't imagine how many people are going to get really nauseous from this. Maybe with the VR headset, they'll also be importing uh, or they'll right next to it will be a little airplane barf bag um, that comes with the headset for free. Uh, but, you know, maybe it's not as bad as I'm thinking it would be, but... These headsets are also going to be flows, so they're not going to be the big chonky ones that we see with Quest or Index. Uh, these are going to be much more thin, much more wearable, something that looks more like glasses. I've been wanting to check them out. I hear they're really cool. Also going to be using gesture motions versus having actual controllers. And if you did need to use a controller, which I'm sure you will, you can use your Android device to kind of select different software to upload into your viewing experience. It's also interesting too that like it might be doing a lot of the Pokemon Go type technology where your experiences change based on your location. So there's a lot of fun there. And you know, maybe maybe if you're taking long road trips, you the kids will have a blast. They won't ever want to stop taking road trips. <laughs> anyway, yada yada, digress. Um, the last little cool thing I wanted to mention this week was um, it looks like there is a new video featuring a unique AR augmented reality filter, and it is turning heads online, kickstarting discussions around the impact of immersive technology on the gambling industry, first spotted by futurism. The showcase, it pretty much previews an AR overlay capable of providing an estimated win percentage in a game of Texas Hold'em in real time, just by looking at the cards uh, and the player's hand. So that's super cool. I mean, you want to, you know, make the uh, the Vegas casino odds in your favor. Maybe, maybe try putting your money into this Kickstarter and getting a pair of these glasses. I mean, could you imagine... If you were honestly playing poker and you could see the odds in your hand, I, that would, I, you'd be rich, you know, or even I'm guessing, you know, blackjack, you know, you see that you got an 80% chance of a win. That's crazy, especially if you're drinking a few beers, might help you get a few better hands, but I'm going to guess that casinos will 
probably make rules against this or kick you out or ban you if they catch you with it. But um, anyway, thought that was cool, so I wanted to share. And guys, that's it for the update. So if you liked it, let me know. If you didn't, let me know. Make sure to join the Discord uh, or, you know, follow and like some of the social media channels. That always helps. That's fun. Keeps me motivated. All right, guys. Anyway, till next time.